0: This is Professor Allen, and welcome to The Quarter Bin. In every episode of this podcast, I will summarize, criticize, discuss, and review some issues from my comic book collection, which many episodes I will select kind of at random. Some episodes, listeners will select kind of at random. Any books from my comic book collection are eligible, as long as I pay no more than 25 cents for them. Were the issues worth 25 cents? Were they bargains at 25 cents? Or were they still overpriced? Stay tuned and find out. For this 91st episode of the Quarterbin Podcast, we're looking at The Weird, numbers 1 and 2 from DC Comics, cover dated April and May 1988. Let's talk about how we got to be covering these issues in this episode. We'll talk about this more next episode, but pretty much from episode 93 through the multi-parts of episode 100, the books I'm going to cover during that time frame are pretty much locked in, and that's the next number of months. So I was looking at the schedule and saw that episodes 91 and 92 were going to be the last chance for a while to do some traditional random type of selecting. And I also wanted to get listeners involved because that's been kind of fun the last time, couple of times we've done that. So what I did was I ran the randomizer to come up with five titles and then let listeners vote on Facebook and Twitter. The intent was to have the top two vote-getters be covered in these two episodes. But the weird was the overwhelming leading vote-getter And I had the whole four-issue mini, so here we are. The first two issues here in 91, and we'll finish up the mini next episode. And thanks to everyone who participated in the Facebook and Twitter voting. And next time I have an audience participation poll, can someone, just anyone, Clinton, Dr. Ange, Greg, Laurel, anybody, vote for Moon Knight? Have a heart. The poor guy didn't get a single vote. But okay, now that you've thought about how poorly you've treated Moon Knight, and promised to do better next time, I'm ready to move on. The Weird, numbers one and two each, at cover prices of $1.50, meaning I acquired these books at a very nice 83% off sale. The cover of The Weird, number one, by Bernie Wrightson, shows an eerie, green, humanoid-ish being with red eyes in the background facing us, floating in the air. Looking at him, though shielding their eyes, are Guy Gardner, Batman, Dr. Fate, Martian Manhunter, Blue Beetle, and Black Canary. And the cover asks us the following two questions. Who is? What is? The weird. That line I remember from all the DC house ads promoting this series. We're also asked why are America's greatest heroes helpless before him? The first issue, called Conception, was written by the series creator Jim Starlin with art by Bernie Wrightson and Dan Green. We open on a rainy night in Metropolis. Superman expects this night to be pretty much like any other. He's wrong, of course. We move downtown to the part of town that was once one of the city's most elegant neighborhoods. In Jason Morgan's apartment, a blond young man performs some archaic ritual, which turns part of his skin to a crystalline green. Yes, now I'm getting it. Soon the bridge will be completed, my friends. A red crystal sphere forms in his hands, but an energy ball shoots away from him and explodes with a cartoon. Superman sees this explosion, but notes that there was no force or no damage. This is a situation that deserves his closer scrutiny. He approaches the light ball, the energy ball, which is now a ribbon shape. X-ray and microscopic vision show that it's nothing but energy. He reaches out to touch it as an experiment. And the blast tosses him three miles. By the time Superman returns, Captain Adam and Jean-Jeans have arrived on the scene. An hour later, the evening storm has passed. But the skies over Metropolis are still filled with activity of an army helicopter sort. By this time, other JLA members have arrived on the scene. Captain Adam explains that This baby shouldn't exist. The energy should dissipate or disperse without something material to hold it in place. Dr. Fate recognizes that there is something mystical about this, but not occult. Guy Gardner gives it a deep probe, and the resulting power surge knocks out Guy and half the power of the city. The mysterious light splits into two. Superman follows one aspect of it, worried that it might be planning an attack. But it heads to a genetic testing lab and shoots itself into a computer keyboard. Martian Manhunter's pursuit leads him to a funeral home in an empty coffin. The grieving widow and her son Billy have no idea what happened. The two lights return to the sky amidst the assemblage of Justice Leaguers. Batman hypothesizes that the entity might be trying to build itself a body. A building is struck nearby, and part of it comes crashing to the ground. But before Guy Gardner can protect the people on the ground, the energy being shoots out and blasts what's falling into dust. Maybe the being was trying to help, but Superman says they can't assume good intentions. Guy Gardner captures the energy in a green bubble, And then inside, a skeleton slowly forms. Then organs and other structures. Then skin. And then a ninja-like outfit. Emergence. The being collapses. Birth is so taxing. At Star Labs an hour later, investigations reveal the being has clear blood. He's a being that's alive, but shouldn't be. Superman's X ray vision discloses that the internal organs are not fully formed yet, but some unseen hand seems to be sculpting them into their proper state even as we speak. The President wants to know what's going on, and dispatches General Westerly to Star Labs. They all conclude that the being is too unstable, that it may be some organic atomic bomb. Blue Beetle christens the being the Weird because all the data they've gathered on him so far is pretty weird. Superman departs so he can perform a rescue at an airport, and the weird awakens. He has one bug eye, strange eyebrows, and a generally imperfect face. I did a sorry job constructing a body, he admits. It was my first time, and the situation was tense. From the jagged shape of his word bubbles, we can assume it's an odd, weird voice. The close proximity of you super-beings must have thrown off the vibratory pattern I was trying to get. He admits that he'll never pass as human now, which would have simplified matters. The heroes tell him he has to leave the planet, that his molecular structure is dangerously unstable. But the weird disagrees saying that he has things to do, that they would take too long to explain. The heroes try to hold him back, but he turns himself intangible. Even Guy's power ring can't hold him, as he he short-circuits it with a K'thoom! Will you let me leave in peace? he asks. But he quickly dispatches both Captain Adam and Martian Manhunter. Even Dr. Fate can't contain him. Now do you see the futility of trying to restrain me? The weird manages to fly off and heads to Jason Morgan's apartment from the start of the issue. The Jason is a much greater threat to this world than my somewhat unstable molecular structure. The Jason would have this entire world enslaved. His is a dark and twisted nature. He must be stopped. But Jason is not in his apartment, and the weird... Realizes that he has another 18 hours until Jason will be able to create another interdimensional bridge, which means that he has time to attend to another important matter. In a suburb just north of Metropolis, the grieving widow from the funeral home is, well, grieving. A friend is visiting, offering comfort, but it's hard. First, Walt's killed by that mugger, and then his body disappears. Their son heads outside to play, where the weird is waiting for him. Billy, he says, removing his mask. Billy drops his basketball. Dad? Mystified and confused? Be here in 30 days for the weird number two and answers. Or be here right now. The cover of the weird number two again by Bernie Wrightson, shows Billy and the Weird on a deserted beach setting. The Weird has his back to us, but he is holding a huge mound of earth over his head, high over his head, with one hand. The story questions is from the same creative team, of Jim Starlin, Bernie Wrightson, and Dan Green. We start On Location. Superman being interviewed for WMET News, which is clearly affiliated with the Expositional News Network. Thank you, Michael Bailey. After that, Superman has a brief war of words with Guy Gardner, which Superman wins. Meanwhile, at this suburban house, the widow notices that her son Billy is gone. And that's because he's flying on the back of the weird. Having fun, Billy? You bet, this is totally bogus, Dad. They land at the ocean, and the weird explains that he is not exactly Billy's father, but he is, sort of. You sort of look and sound like him, and you seem to know everything he did, but you talk like he's someone else. The weird explains that he needed a body to survive in this world. Your father wasn't using his any longer, so I procured it. It's like this. I inhabit a slightly altered form of Walter Langley, and so I look like him, and I've inherited his lifetime of memories. He explains that his powers of altering his density and his strength, and his ability to affect any source of energy he's in direct contact with. He does explain to Billy the hard truth that he's not, in fact, his father. That his father is well and truly dead. He then reveals to Billy, and to us, that he is an alien. And he explains that he came from another dimension. The Weird is a Zerolat, a being of pure energy that exists in a one-sided symbiotic relationship with the Macrolats, beings of immense power and great ruthlessness. When the Macrolats learn of the existence of Earth, they set out to conquer it. But they need an agent And they find such a traitor in the form of the Jason. They taught him to create the crystalline anchor that would stabilize the bridge between worlds. Seeking to stop them and gain his freedom, the Weird dived into the portal before any of the macrolats could stop him. He entered our world face-to-face with the Jason, but in his energy form was no match for him. I needed a containment vessel, a body. Not wanting to doom another soul to oblivion, he chose instead to reanimate a dead body. It was my only option, he explains to the boy. The boy understands that the Weird has a mission, but asks why, if he has so many important things to do, why did he take the time to visit Billy? Because part of me is still Walter Langley. Part of me wanted to see my son again before I face the Jason. When they arrive back at Billy's house, he tells the boy he may not see him again, because he may not survive his encounter with the Jason. But he tells the boy that although his father was neither a verbal, nor a demonstrative man, he loved his son very much, and still does. Flying off the weird admits to himself that there's another reason he may not see Billy again. He admits the jail layers were right. I examine my molecular structure as I promised Batman I would. I am potentially explosive. The Jason enters his apartment, having killed a woman. But now it's time to get to work. The macrolats are a calling. It's bridge-building time time to conquer the Earth. Superman tracks down the Weird in midair while he was talking to himself about his explosive nature. Superman admits he doesn't trust people who talk to themselves. By the way, who's Jason, he wants to know. Superman tells him that he is the one who's going to escort the Weird off the planet. Which is not exactly in the Weird's short-term plan. They have a heck of a fight scene, the Weird becoming intangible to escape, but never being able to fully shake the Man of Steel. The Weird doesn't want to fight, he has important work to do, but the extraordinary beings of this world only seem to understand one language, violence. He escapes by creating a major distraction, a disaster that Superman cannot ignore the newsman, from the start of the issue, talks to Superman again, but that doesn't go well. The Weird appears shortly after and explains to the newsman what the JLA has kept secret, that he is unstable, and that they're all afraid he'll blow up and destroy the planet. Guy and Beetle and Batman are watching and not happy that the lid has been blown off this affair, and that they will be implicated in a cover-up, but they see the weird fly across the city and think they'll have a chance to redeem themselves. Back inside the Jason's apartment, the bridge is nearing completion, but he is interrupted by the weird appearing directly behind him. Surprise! The end.
1: Hey, everybody. Magnus here. I do a show called "Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, wherein I talk about comics, movies, and TV shows. But let's cut the crap, all right? Mostly I spend most of my time talking about comics because, honestly, comics are my first love. So, beginning in March 2017, I'm going to change things up a little bit. I'm going to be joined by Rebecca Johnson to talk about Harry Potter movies. Three. Three Harry Potter movies. Rebecca Johnson will be joining in to discuss The Sorcerer's Stone, The Chamber of Secrets, and The Prisoner of Azkaban. But that's not all that's going on. Also joining in is Professor Allen to talk about the three Chris Nolan Batman movies. Yes, indeedy, we're hashing through Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, and The Dark Knight Rises. Six episodes, six movies, two guest hosts, one regular host, which is to say me, Magnus, and the fun starts on March 7th, 2017. Only at twotruefreaks.com or iTunes or whichever obscure Japanese webpage that syndicates my show without my authorization for some reason. I don't really have a problem with that, you understand? It's just, it's kind of weird. That's all I'm saying. But whatever. Six movies. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, Batman Begins, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, The Dark Knight, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, and The Dark Knight Rises. You got that this mega-series is starting in March, right? Just make
0: it sure. And we're back. And we need to start with recent news about Bernie Wrightson. And any time someone says they have recent news, it's usually bad news. And it is this time as well, but let me quickly clarify that this is not bad news of the moral and legal variety. But if you want to listen to someone talk about the Gerard Jones situation, listen to Trentis Magnus Punches Reality, number 184, from a few weeks back. And he talks about that situation for a while at the start of that episode. But Bernie Wrightson's bad news is of the more common or traditional variety for a creator in their mid to late 60s. On January 31st, 2017, this appeared on bernierightsen.com. Dear fans and friends, I apologize for our silence the past few months. Last November, Bernie began falling again and having obvious problems with perception. He had to undergo yet another brain surgery, To relieve bleeding and then spend several weeks undergoing inpatient rehabilitation. Unfortunately, it appears that he has lasting damage. He has extremely limited function on his left side and is unable to walk or reliably use his left hand among other limitations. We have come to the sad conclusion that he is now effectively retired. He will produce no new art and he is unable to attend conventions. Should this situation change, I will happily announce it here. He can still sign his name. In fact, he was signing Kickstarter prints in the hospital and is otherwise pretty healthy and has good cognition. We expect to continue releasing signed prints and offering occasional pieces of art for sale from the collections that remain. We both thank all of you for all your continued support and best wishes. All our best, Liz and Bernie Wrightson. Now, I will confess... When I first saw this note, which someone had, I guess, reposted on Facebook, I immediately thought of Darwin Cook. If you remember, one day it was announced that he was sick. And literally, the next day, they announced that he had passed. But I'm putting these notes together a good 15 days or so after that note was posted. And to me, given this situation, I do think that no news is, in fact, good news. Other podcasters have spoken on recent episodes, I've heard about their interactions with Wrightson at conventions, and I'm sure others will as well. But at the risk of making this sound too much like an obituary, which it definitely is not, let's move on and talk about these comic books. Though I will start with Wrightson's art. His work is always detailed, always lots of lines, and it's great for this type of story. Rights in specialty is the off-kilter stuff, horror, weird stuff. And that's been ever since he created Swamp Thing. And this one is a little tricky because it's an oddball off-kilter story, yes. But it does take place in the middle of the DC universe, with many key characters from the heart of the DC universe. And these characters are mostly on model, although with the rights in style, the rights in flair. And most importantly, he keeps those characters consistent. In particular, I like the way he has Dr. Fate's cape draped down, almost covering his entire costume like a shroud. This is a bit of how he treats Batman, although they're not identical. And he treats these capes very differently from Superman's. And Martian Manhunter's cape is different still. The only character who doesn't look quite right, although again it is consistent, is Guy Gardner. He just comes off looking a little too ugly to my eyes, a little too weird himself. There's lots of great shadow work, lots of great cloud work, lots of great work with the mystical stuff. But I think the highlight of the art was in the transition effects. And we have a number of these. The transition of the weird from energy being to humanoid with a few stages in between, that was good. And then we also have the Jason transitioning to and from his... Sort of crystalline, alien form, and those were always good. And he makes the weird look suitably weird. You could see another artist giving in to the temptation of making the lead character handsome. That's standard operating procedure for a comic book. But he sticks to the vision of giving this guy one bug eye and crazy eyelashes or eyebrows... Most of the time, the weird only has a small slice of his face showing, and writes and manages to take just that small portion of bearskin and make him look individual. Make him look, you know, weird. The rest of the costume is pretty great, too. It's a black ninja suit with accents of scarlet. I mean, I say scarlet, but it's pretty clear a purplish color in issue one. In that first issue in scenes where the weird appears with Superman, his coloring is clearly different from the red in Superman's costume. But in issue two, they're clearly the same color. This may be an issue with the coloring process that DC was using at the time. It may have been an actual conscience choice to make that change. I'm not sure. And I don't know which of those sticks, because as of putting these notes together, I haven't read issues three and four yet. So I don't know if the red or the purple sort of ends up being the color for the majority of the issues. But that's longer than I usually spend on art, so let's move on to a discussion of plot. So it's time now to say nice things about Jim Starlin. I mentioned this before in terms of the art, but Starlin also does a good job of integrating this unusual cosmic sci-fi story into the dc universe and because the story does take place in the dcu because the story involves a legitimate end of the earth threat starlin does that thing that too many comic book writers ignore don't do he answers the question if this threat was really so bad why didn't the jla get involved where was superman well they do get involved And in these issues, he manages to keep the focus on the weird. And and, In other words, in a storyline that includes the JLA, this does not turn into a JLA story. And that's one of the many tricky balancing acts that Starlin manages to pull off here, I think. Because this is definitely a story about this new character, the weird. The family stuff, the fatherhood angle. All of that really grounds the story, gives us a chance to get to know this brand new character, this brand new species, and this brand new cosmic conflict. Starlin does give us a chance to get to know this character. The big action moments, again balanced by these small character bits. He really does manage to humanize the character, if you will. All of that is really strong writing. I do need to talk about Superman a little bit here. While the weird is still an energy being of some kind, Superman acknowledges that it's almost as if he was trying to save those people. But he then concludes that they can't assume good intentions, and they have to consider this thing dangerous. And then in issue two, he has concluded that the weird is a deadly menace to this planet. You can't be allowed to stay. You are a dreadful nuisance. I don't know, but this seems to be maybe a little out of character for the Man of Steel. But maybe what Starlin is getting at, and I'm reading this into the text, it's not specifically there, but maybe he's saying that Superman can afford to be kind, compassionate, and open-hearted simply because he's so much more powerful than any being on Earth. But here, when he's faced with someone, something, who can actually fight him. His standard bent towards acceptance and towards welcome kind of falls away. But whatever the cause of Superman's suspicions, it does make for a great plot point because it gives us reasons for a couple of great throwdowns between the Weird and the Man of Steel. So he definitely put that bit to very good use. I mentioned before that these issues had cover prices of $1. fifty. Most of DC's standard books of the era were priced at 75 cents, maybe a buck. But have no fear. This book more than made up for that extreme increase in price in terms of story length and lack of advertising interruption. It was a standard-length book, 10 sheets of paper or 40 comic book pages. But these are organized as 38 consecutive pages of story, with just two house ads at the end. 38 pages of comic for a quarter. That will definitely affect my verdict. The verdict on the weird one and two. My friend, and former guest on the show Paul Spataro, really helped me formulate a process for judging portions of longer stories. Because I have to admit, my initial reaction in trying to assign any type of grade or or verdict to only the first half of a story is to give it an incomplete and move on. And in this case, we are going to finish the story next episode. So I've got to admit, that temptation is there. But as listeners know, there are rules to this podcast. And I never, ever, ever violate any of them for any reason at all. Isn't that right, Shag? But I won't punt. I won't give an incomplete. And I will use the Paul Spitaro method. Because on his main show, Back to the Bins, this happens a lot. Covering just one issue of an arc or a mini-series. So the question here is, did reading the 1 and 2 make me want to read 3 and 4? Yes definitely. And pretty much as soon as I finish writing up these notes that's what I'm going to do. So, The Weird numbers one and two 38 pages each produced by top of the line comic book professionals Jim Starlin and Bernie Wrightson. These are definitely quarter bin deals. That wraps up my coverage of The Weird one and two bringing episode 91 of the Quarterbin Podcast to a close. In episode 92, we see how this series gets wrapped up by looking at the weird three and four. So if you have any questions or comments about this issue, this miniseries, the episode, the creators, why you hate Moon Knight so much, or the podcast in general, feel free to contact me. Until next episode, I'm... Professor Allen, and I'll see you in the Quarterbin. The Quarterbin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Show notes and links are available at Relatively Geeky where the podcasts Uncovering the Bronze Age and Short Box Showcase also make their home. Links to Facebook and Twitter are there as well feedback for the show is welcome at relatively geeky at gmail.com and if you like what we've got going here please leave a review and a rating in itunes it'll help more people discover the show thanks again for listening